Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Some are always looking for more sports content. And among the glut of sports media, some are looking for sports content that dives a bit deeper and doesn't just stick to sports. So check out Backpack Broadcasting's original long-form sports journalism series, Sideline Stories. The award-winning original series takes viewers directly into underrepresented communities within the world of sports. It's a series that goes beyond traditional sports reporting, like box scores and statistics, presenting exclusive stories that you won't find anywhere else. With a diverse group of correspondents, the series provides interviews and interesting stories around the world of sports, because there is so much beyond the game, and so much that occurs off the field or court that impacts each of us and the world we live in. Giving a voice to athletes, coaches, fans, and everyone involved in athletics, Sideline Stories looks to push sports storytelling further than ever before. It's a winner of the 2020 Independent Shorts Awards, and all episodes of Sideline Stories are available for viewing today on Backpack Broadcasting's YouTube channel and Facebook page. Hardstyle Podcast, episode 174. Dexter Henry, Brian Feinsager here. Jew. We're doing the thing social distance or distance leave or social distanced. All while we're trying to quarantine, everybody trying to get vaccine, hopefully, what you should be doing. Uh, I'm doing well. If you hear it in my voice, I'm a little bit stuffy. Uh, no COVID, in case anybody's wondering. Uh, just a little bit uh, with the allergies and the weather change has been going on. It's been keeping me stuffy, but I'm doing okay. Brian, how you doing? This was probably, I'm coming off uh, maybe the most Puerto Rican WrestleMania ever because Bad Bunny and Damian Priest, especially Bad Bunny, stole the show, which we're going to talk about. But I'm doing quite well. I'm doing quite well, all things considered. Um, you know, just 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 surviving in advance and still, even though it's not March anymore. Yes, not March anymore, surviving and advancing. We are into April. Uh, by the time you listen to this, we are approaching almost halfway through April, unbelievably already, which means a birthday is coming up for me soon. So interesting stuff uh, around that. Uh, but we got a lot to talk about for this episode, a lot going on in the world of sports. Major news, we're going to start off in the world of hip-hop. You've been living under a rock. Hopefully you have not by now. You have heard about a legendary rapper passing away, and that is the great DMX, Darkman X, passed away at the age of 50 last week. Uh, very sad news for a lot of the hip hop world. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't take some time to actually talk about this here. Now, I think this conversation is interesting B, because of how you and I both, because of our age gap, 
experienced DMX. Um, for me, I experienced DMX. First time I heard DMX was on 4321, LL Cool J song. Uh, iconic verse with him there. I think that was a lot of people's introduction to DMX. He obviously made a lot of big noise in the underground scene, uh, battling cats like Jay, Busta. That was very legendary known. Big L, definitely known uh, in terms of that realm. Uh, but I heard him on 4321. That is back, I'm going to date myself, that is back in my uh, early years of high school. <laughs> that back then and i think for a lot of people and i will say this when you first heard dmx come on that track it was just the energy we'll talk a lot about energy and brian, brian had a chance to write about this for dead talking about his energy and his contributions to hip-hop in terms of that way his energy just grabbed you you never heard anybody like him before ever you know with with his aggression the growl the whole dog uh, skit that he had going on. Just, you never heard that kind of energy before. So that's how I was introduced with him. But Brian, I'm intri int intrigued for you because of the age gap. What was your introduction to DMX uh, in, in this way? And, and how did he grab you when you heard him? Because you heard him at a much younger age than I did. So how, how did his energy as a rapper grab you? So my earliest hip hop memories or hip hop listening memories are probably in 1999. That would make me five years old. And that's when DMX is already one of the biggest, if not the biggest name in hip hop already, because he had dropped the year before, uh, you know, his first two albums. And they obviously had very big singles on them. You would see them on MTV and things of that nature. And then shortly thereafter, it's like, you know, Party Up was a big song. X Gonna Give It To You around that same time was a big song. And um, the other one from 2003 was named Escaping Me At. Where the hood at? Um, hood which, at, yep. you know, be, be careful where you listen to that first verse. But, uh, you know, yes. it's, uh, <laughs> it's um, you know, it, it was times. But that I was very young experiencing all of this. But I kind of associate DMX with some of my earliest hip hop memories because of that. And one of the things that I grew to appreciate as I got older, and you know me, I'm a little bit of an older hip-hop head, uh, older in terms of compared to my actual age. I mean, the hoodie, you know, that's an example of that, right? And a lot of the times I recall listening to him, right, were at that age, but then growing older and, like, being able to understand some of the things that he was doing. Um, and even recently, I had gone back and listened to some stuff, not even just the last week or so, but the last couple of years or so. See, because, you know, some people would say, like, you know, some of the songs, like, actually really age well, like Slippin' did, for example. Um, you know what I mean? And uh, I Can Feel It, which is my favorite DMX song, which is on his first album. And I think that, you know, it's it's interesting because I sat and thought about it. It was kind of like with Pedro Gomez after he passed. I sat and thought about, all right, what's the significance of this person that I am trying to, that I'm struggling to try to put into words, not to write it, but to just really think about like, damn, like why is this hitting me so hard, right? Hitting me in a way that's like, I didn't expect it. Even if we kind of were, ex was expecting the announcement of DMX's death with Pedro Gomez, it became, this is the first Latino I ever saw reporting on ESPN, which is huge for me, especially considering what I now do for a living and how much I you know, care about the culture and things of that nature. With DMX, that became, this is the person who is the best 
ever at hype music in hip hop. The person who you would most hear distinctly when you walk into arenas, you go out to shows, you go out to just different gatherings, barbecues or whatever, there are specific DMX songs that you're expecting to hear while you're there that are scattered throughout the course of the, the course of his career. You know what I mean? Movie soundtracks and things of that nature. Like there are a lot of things associated with DMX that you sort of realize, like, yeah, this was somebody, this is somebody who's in a lot of people's top 10, top five, top 15, top 20, whatever it is. He's up there for a lot of different people. And that's a whole nother discussion we can get into uh, as we get more removed from this. But you associate him with a lot, and that's why it hits you uh, as hard as it does. Yeah, I think so. And I think that when you think about, for me personally, like I said, when you think about the time, and for me as a young teenager growing up in the era when he dropped or when he came out, as I said, for many people, the introductions, four, three, two, one, and the bars he starts off with, and you know, and that uh, verse for that song, stay out the dark, because if I catch you when the sun is down, run it, clown, come up off that, or I'm gonna gun it down. Right from the jump, DMX lets you know exactly what he was about, that he was not someone to be messed with. He gave you that energy straight off the jump, and you know, you knew it. And you know, that then moved on to Get At Me Dog being released, I believe later that year, that winter, it was 1997, um, or maybe it was, it might've been early 98, I, I don't recall specifically, but I remember it was in the winter when that song came out and that was a smash in, term, in terms of New York hip hop. Um, all, all up to, he was also on the Clues, the Professional, um, if it's on, that track was also a big track. And then that led to his, arguably biggest song and the song that kind of broke him out in his career, which is Rough Riders Anthem, which you just had to, I mean, I sound like an old head on this, but you had to be there. That <laughs> summer, that summer of 98, the Rough Riders Anthem was everywhere. It was blaring out of everybody's car. Everybody was playing it on their disc man at the time. Everybody was playing it. Everybody had as dark and hell as hot when it dropped that May. I remember everybody coming back to school or getting, leaving school that that year and having it the next year and Flesh and Flesh, Blood is My Blood, the second album dropped later that fourth quarter of that of 98. But that was huge. There was even an argument at the time. Yep. This is again to show you people about how, how this was and you had to be there. At the time in 1998, in the same year where Jay-Z dropped Volume 2 Hard Knock Life, there was actual arguments among hip-hop heads about who was the better, who was the bigger rapper. And you can argue, but for that two or three year span from 98 to probably 2000, there wasn't a bigger act in hip hop than, than DMX. Now Jay-Z had went five times platinum of volume two at that time, but DMX was as big as you can get. I mean, they even toured together with the backstage tour. DMX was huge. And as Brian says, I think his legacy lives on in terms of that hype music. You still think about DMX in terms of he he's got to have a song in workout playlist. If you if he doesn't have a song in workout playlist, he probably ain't working out right. Facts. You might want to step that up. Facts. So, <laughs> so he's he's got that kind of energy. But I also would like to say, beside the hype, there was a lot of pain in his music, and you can hear that uh, very evidently through his, all his albums. But most specifically on his first album, "It's Dark and Hell Is Hot." Yeah. Brian mentioned uh, a, a song "Slipping." Um, you know, one of my, one of, arguably my favorite DMX song, just a fantastic song. Um, we know he slipped and battled a lot of stuff with addiction in his life and a lot of pain that he had dealt with. Uh, Stop Being Greedy, also one of my favorite X songs. Another verse I'd have to mention that I can't, that it's a feature from DMX. He has some great, great features 
uh, but another one has to be 24 Hours to Live on Mace's album. Um, one of the great verses to close that song uh, as well, too. Another underrated Lucy. People of a certain, of that era, 98, remember this? There's a song called Pull It. And it's, oh. just been, it's just been made available on streaming platforms in the last couple of years with camera on the DMX. And I mean, that song just still goes hard for me. <laughs> so for me, man, you know, the other day, B, I, was, I went back and I was playing some X. And I, we talked about this when we were doing picks and props the other day. Um, but I played some X and it just really was just taking me back to that time in 98 and being in high school and the energy around it. And there's some people I knew who were big DMX fans, um, some friends. Uh, there's actually a girl I used to date in high school. She was a big DMX fan. She used to argue me about who was better, him or Jay. Um, but like, yeah, man, it, his impact on hip hop in terms of energy, like we said, and just the vulnerability of his pain in the music in the art form that is hip hop, absolutely, absolutely is undeniable and it's legendary. And while we know the pain, some of the pain that he went through, and I think we all are saddened to see him go so young at 50 years old, you know, these kinds of things you talked about with Pedro Gomez, and anytime these things happen, it makes you think about how fragile life is, how short it is, and how much we have to enjoy it. So for me, when things like this occur, it's definitely a good time to celebrate his contributions to society, what he gave us in terms of hip hop. And it's like, look, th- th- I, I texted this to Brian a couple of days ago. And Brian, we can talk more about this. Who is the DMX now, right? Who's that person that brings that energy in terms of hip hop? You know, there's always been rappers, I would say that a little bit more on the hype side. I think DMX and Buster Rhymes kind of are, are that of my generation. And although they're different in how they do it, they bring that energy. But you kind of think about that now. Who is, who is that mystical is another person our producer Greg brings up of that era from the South that kind of brought that energy as well, too. May exhibit from the West Coast as well. I might add to that a little a little bit as well, too. Yeah. But I don't know where that is in hip-hop. I don't know if they – I'm not saying it necessarily needs to be that in hip-hop now, but – I hope not. Because you, you, got, you got dudes that try. They can't do it. <laughs> you got dudes that try to do some of the same stuff to be hype and then be introspective. It's like, I mean, that's one of the things that I like. You try to not throw out around the term like one of a kind or one of one, but that's something that I wrote and said when we've talked about this. Dex is like, he really was a one of one. And a point that you made that I was going to make if you didn't go there, and I'm glad you did, was just the introspection. And the vulnerability that he was able to provide throughout the course of his career, even if you listen to some of his later stuff, which obviously isn't as good as when he was, as he said, a five-time champ who debuted with five straight number one albums. I think the only person to ever do that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Five straight Billboard uh, number ones. You know, later on in his music, you hear certain songs and the vulnerability, the pain is still there. You know, he had a lot of issues and what kind of bums you out is that he had a lot of issues that he wasn't able to overcome at the end. But I would say that he's happy now. Like he he, he did get to live a full life, although it was cut way too short. He did get to live a full life and accomplish a lot, probably more than he ever envisioned and really became, you know, somebody who's considered to be one of the best ever. He's definitely one of the best ever to me. And he has a catalog that 
you know, when you're talking about best discographies ever, his name will come up somewhere in that conversation. I'm not sure where. I think it depends on, you know, your preference, things like that. Music is subjective at the end of the day. But there's not but so many people that you're going to mention as far as all-time great discographies before you're going to get to DMX. And that's not even just the only extent of his greatness because you get to see it with the impact. And the impact is the major thing. Like, he died on the same day as I forget who from the royal family. And Prince, Prince, Prince Philip, right? Somebody who probably had more money, things of that nature, and reportedly was uh, not a great dude. And all the reverence that day was for DMX, who was just more impactful. And is another extent of why we say, like, yo, like, you need to, like, some of, the, some of the things that we focus on are misguided. Like, the impact matters more than anything else. It doesn't matter about because DMX didn't do anything for clout. Like, this wasn't a cloud chasey dude. You know what I mean? Like, he was somebody who was resistant to the idea of social media early on. I saw some tweets floating around that he allegedly said. I wasn't even sure that that came from, like, a verified DMX account, like a truly verified one, because I don't even think he was on Twitter uh, much, like, at least him himself. You know what I mean? Like, this was a super, super authentic dude. And when you're just super authentic, that resonates with a lot of people, as we can see. Yeah, I think Swizz Beats had also talked about how he was very private in terms of what he did in terms of charitable efforts and things of that nature. So, you know, that's just how he chose to live his life. And I think he's just somebody who liked the art form for the art form, the art form of hip hop just for that. And, you know, this is a discussion for another day, but I think we've moved away from that in terms of hip hop. And that generally happens with things um, as people who are fans of the genre. It's not really theirs or not really invested in it in that way that they were before. So I understand how people of younger generations might not feel the same way as hip hop as I do and, you know, and, and so forth and whatnot. But, um, you know, I, I'll probably close this segment on DMX with a quote from one of my favorite verses from him, which is 24 Hours to Live, the last lines. He says, out with a bang, you will remember my name. I want to live forever, but this wasn't fame. So salute to DMX. We thank you for your contributions. We appreciate everything that you've done in hip hop. and. Uh, Rest easy, rest in peace, King. Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind the scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. Brian and I, from time to time, will talk about jerseys and one discussion we haven't had in this podcast surrounding the nba is something we know there's like too many jerseys sometimes there's there's just too much there's too many options that's another conversation for another day however wnba who (laughs) lately (laughs) the, the ladies are just on fire let's just call it for what it is we know what the product is in terms of the wnba and we love the wnba here at the ain't hard to tell podcast and we want to see it grow more. We want to see it get more support. And this coming season, 
is going to be the 25th anniversary of the WNBA. What does the WNBA do? We know that they kill it in terms of social justice. We know black women specifically are out there on the front lines doing what they got to do. And the women are out there doing everything and supporting each other as they should be. Women of all backgrounds in the WNBA. Now WNBA, they unveiled some new jerseys. And man, they are fire. Like, <laughs> I don't know about you, B, but these look great. And I actually feel like maybe we'll see a shift. You don't see too many people. And I'm certainly talking about men here. You don't see too many men rocking WNBA jerseys. But these are good. And I think just like you'll see more women rocking NBA jerseys, but these are good where I think they transcend gender. I hate using that term like transcend really, but it feels like this is made for everyone, right? And that guys can wear this in the same way that women have long been rocking NBA jerseys before they made certain jerseys to be more fit women or be cut for women, which is fine too, but this is for everyone and this is dope. And I'd like to see more guys rocking jerseys of their favorite women's who are players in the league. I'm excited about these. I think they look good. There's a lot of them that look great. The Liberty have a great one. It has a quality that all the different versions, the color, the patterns were very few that I wasn't really a fan of. And then I just got to watch this video where you saw the reactions of the players as they were actually unboxing some of these and you could see how dope they thought it was. So B, I don't know about you, but uh, I was pretty excited about seeing these jerseys and it's going to be better when we can see these ladies with them on the court. But think of them. You know, I've never seen a jersey reveal where all the jerseys were pretty fire. Like every single one. Like usually when we get these NBA rollouts, just comparatively, right? Because you did bring this up. When we see the rollouts for like the NBA City jerseys or the association or whatever the fuck they're being called now for all these different jerseys that we have in the NBA and there's too many as you mentioned. Whenever you see them, there are always some jerseys that are like, eh, whatever. And even though all of her, or not all, but a lot of the WNBA uniforms are similar to one another, I actually found enjoyment that, like, there's a consistency there, but they're all so clean. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I do think that more people, I hope people buy the jerseys at the end of the day. I'm not really a jersey wearer anymore, but I'd be lying if I said that there was a few that I looked at, I looked at and was like, hmm. You know, like I might actually, you know, consider uh, spending my money here. Like I would be lying if I didn't say that. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I, that that was uh, encouraging to me because, you know, now like it, this is going to be a very important season for that league in general for the WNBA. Last year, we thought the same thing. And then obviously COVID happened. So they had to adjust and go into the bubble. And, you know, we'll see what happens right now. I don't think they even have a schedule out at this point but you know i'm looking forward to it this is a season that i'm very much looking forward to uh the phoenix mercury i was optimistic about last year and then bria hardly tore her acl i thought she was going to be six woman of the year they can be really good this year because diana tarasi is back again and Brittany griner or whatever we'll get into more of our wnba bag as the season draws near because we don't even know when it's starting it's usually supposed to be may so i feel like we should be ramping up for that soon but look jerseys are clean and I would like to say the same uh, for the NBA, but we have uh, we have just two, like the Cream City shit in Milwaukee. You know what I mean? Milwaukee actually has two jerseys that I really don't like, and even their regular ones I don't really care for like that. You know, Utah's whatever. Like the Miami Heat one, I like, but it's the weakest of the Miami Vice jerseys. I feel like pretty easily. You know, yeah, like the, yeah. But it, it, 
like I think we need to. This we, we're definitely gonna have a conversation about this another day. But I think we need to slow down on these city edition jerseys. That would be one. <laughs> Running out slow of ideas, down. clearly. Yeah, like yo, drop city edition jerseys every three to five years. How about that? Let it rock. I know and why every team need, and every team doesn't need to do it at the same time. Also, that's that would be nice too. That way you get maybe maybe you do because oh, we got what nine teams in the league. Maybe we, we rotate through eight every year or something. That would be a little bit interesting. Yeah, and I also you know our, our producer Greg brings this up, and I also you know the the earned jerseys that they have now. Yeah, yeah. We, we we don't need it because you made the playoffs last year. You get a jersey. I understand why they won't do it and never going to go away from this because it just makes more money. And I, I'm going to be intrigued to see the WNBA seems to have a good set of jerseys. Are they going to follow in that? Are they going to be like, all right, let's add more jerseys. Let's have a city edition. Let's have a earned edition. Are they going to do that too? It's kind of overkill. Overkill in sports is another discussion. I definitely like to have for another day. That kind of goes into my, it's another thing I have around that with advertising, but that's a whole nother story. But as far as these WNBA jerseys, I think you use the right word, clean, right? Clean, they look great, they look fantastic, streamlined, very good. I can't think of a great jersey reveal like this probably yeah. since I was actually at the Nike NFL jersey reveal. Mm. I was there with uh, our good a friend of the show, Marley Rivera, we were there. Um, so for people who've been watching Backpack Broadcast stuff for a long time, that's where I got the famous Larry Fitzgerald, you're watching Backpack Broadcasting uh, intro. It was at that event. And um, those, those jerseys, when Nike took it over, you're like, man, a lot of these jerseys look good. They had re- they didn't change too much, but some of them looked really good. Um, so this this is a good launch. Nike's also involved in this again. Uh, but like for the WNBA, I think this is good. I don't know how this changes things in terms of increasing viewership and that means men watching the sport but you know i think if people see other people rocking wma jerseys around could pique the interest of some casual viewers but look i like this i like what i see wmba continues to go strong i'm always looking for the sport because it's fantastic basketball and i just hope that people continue to support it and continue to support these jerseys i'll tell you what, i'm getting one for my daughter that's for sure like sure <laughs> like i know quality that. one the equality yeah. one is nice i know i know i'm doing that so i'm definitely grabbing her one um you know because she's always we're watching basketball she's like oh the girls are playing or the guys are playing so she's knowing the difference and you know she's she's gonna get some jerseys coming up soon so I'm definitely getting her one for that. And now you know the, the all the all the little girls and guys and everybody out there can look clean with these shirts. Yeah. And one and one more thing I'll add, it, this is not WNBA specific at all. This is actually more about like the other leagues. Like instead of having 50 million jerseys, can we have more throwback jersey days? Like I don't know why, especially in the NBA, there are a lot of old school jerseys that I would like to see again. And instead of like in the case of Memphis making a city jersey look like your old school jersey. Can you just wear the old school jersey instead of just repurposing these things? Like, I would like to see Knicks jerseys again with the black stripe on the side like they had in the 90s and then brought back in the 2000s where it was a little more narrow and they had it uh, prior to their 54-win season where they just took it off and then it looked like a plain all blue or all white uniform. You know what I mean? Like there are a lot of old school jerseys that I would like to see again instead of 50 million city earned association icon and all this bullshit. Greg uh, is mentioning some in the chat here. Raptors, Jazz, Suns, Rockets. The Suns is a big one for me. 
the sons of the of the Charles Barkley era where they had sort of the the, the, the logo the, or whatever. The, the, the sun going across in the black. Yeah, black, I know that one's black. a little more divisive, but still, I like that well, one. Well, the Suns did a good job of with their with their city edition this year and sort of incorporating that into the one that says the valley with the sun across. I loved what they did with that. There are some things I've liked. I like what the Spurs did this year with their Fiesta jerseys. I thought those were dope. They, what they did is they tied back into some of nostalgia, which is what you're talking about. They went back into using that Fiesta colors that used to be on their old warmups. Some people are thinking, and using it the right way. And I think there's certain ones we need to pull away and say, hey, those are great. We need to be a staple. All the Miami jerseys, though I did you, Brian, this year was a piece of them. Keep the ice the jerseys. Miami nailed it. They hit the ball out of the park in terms of their jerseys. Keep those. Brian makes a great point about nostalgia and throwbacks. You can do that and still make money. There are people who still will buy the Knicks jerseys with the Yo. black stripe on it. There are people yeah. who still will buy that, right? There are people who still want to buy I mean, Utah's kind of gone back to their old look, right? The people still will love these nights or wear it for 25 games. The Raptors did it uh, with their 25th anniversary edition. I believe that was the previous year where they were wearing the old school Raptors jersey with the dinosaur. People still want those, and they love to see the new players' jerseys with them. So I think think you make a great point. Going back to that would actually be helpful. And you know what? You still will get bread off of it, NBA. and, and you know what? And stop changing the city jersey every single season. Like, right. I, I don't think it made sense, like, because all the teams had to just burn through a whole bunch of jerseys. So Miami, for example, going back to them, they had the white vice jersey, the black vice jersey, the pink vice jersey, which is fire. That's one of the best basketball uniforms I've ever seen. The light blue one last year, and now they have what Howard Beck calls the cotton candy one, which is multicolored <laughs> or whatever. And I'm like... Why did they have to wait, burn all five of them through five straight years? Right, right. Like, it, that, that doesn't make sense. Like, it, now, now, so we're not going to see the pink ones anymore. We're not going to see the light blue ones anymore, the white or the black. Like, it's crazy. And then next year, you know, all the teams are going to have to figure something else out. Like, the Heat are probably going to have some sort of palm tree here. And then, and then fucking, you know, the Knicks are going to have the, the city that never sleeps but in white. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't know. It's it's it's, it's no, too much. It, it's I agree. It's too it's it's too much, and I hope it slows down. So we we ended up talking about that anyway. But anyway, if you have bring back you, orange Nick jerseys, that's the I, last thing I want. I'd like to see that too. But the Knicks were like zero and eight in them, so I don't think they're ever coming back. But do I, different I, I ones. They do different ones. You know, it could be a little more creativity spread out. Hopefully, the WNBA continues to get it right. These jer- jersey rollouts. Uh, if you're watching us on video, you will see some video of the jerseys. Uh, in this, so you'll get you'll have a look at it. If you haven't, go check it out. If you're listening on audio, check it out on Twitter. I think they're pretty dope. Let us know what you think about those jerseys. What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you, and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. The Brooklyn Nets got their ass kicked. They got beat down by the Los Angeles Lakers. And, and you know, a lot of people think that could be a finals preview, but this was the Lakers without their two best players. No LeBron James, no Anthony Davis at all whatsoever. The Nets did not have James Harden in this contest, but they did have uh, Kevin Durant. They did have Kyrie Irving, who eventually got, got ejected. However, the Nets got stomped. 
126 to 101. This was on Saturday night. I look at this game, Brian, and I say, look, the Nets, you still have more talent than the Lakers. There's no way you should have lost this matchup at all whatsoever. I We've talked about this on Picks and Props, which we do on the Props Network. I think, and Brian, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth on this. Our boys, Gerard and Jamal, are sort of in the camp of, they think the Nets are taking it all. They they believe they believe in the Nets. Gerard especially. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, and those are the homies. I think they believe in the Nets a little bit more than we do. And it's not that I don't believe in the Nets or wouldn't think to pick, think to pick them out of the East. I still have a lot of trepidation about their defense, specifically on the interior. And this game in particular made me more concerned about that, right? We saw Andre Drummond giving them the business. Over and over, Andre Drummond, folks. No disrespect to Andre Drummond, but he's Andre Drummond. Like, this wasn't Prime Shaq giving them the business over and over. This wasn't Tim Duncan giving them the business over and over. And if Andre Drummond is giving them the business, and I know Brian's ready to jump in on this, if Andre Drummond is giving them the business, what will Joel Embiid do? What will he do? You would think that he will. It might be scary. He might give them 40 and 20. You know who gave him 40 this year? Bam out of bio. That actually happened. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, and the response would be, oh, but what are you going to do about Kyrie and KD and, you know, whatever, whatever. And it's like, yo, they, the three of them haven't played together that much. Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. James Harden's hurt, which I told you was going to happen. Like, <laughs> I told you KD was going to get hurt this year. I told you James Harden was going to get hurt this year because, like, you just can't drive into people, draw, you know, all these fouls, shoot 10 free throws a game for a lot of years and not get hurt at some point, though it's not a very serious injury. These are the kind of things that happen. You get dinged up and then you can't play for a week or two. And then it happens here and then it happens at the wrong time in the playoffs. And then all of a sudden that's your season. With Kevin Durant, like he just he's 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 on he's on his way back from what? a two-month or a one-month somewhere in between that six-week hamstring injury or something along those lines. Kyrie Irving hasn't had the injury yet, but he's leading the league in PTO, although they're all for a good reason today. We'll get to that later. Um, I just don't see them figuring it out defensively, and I feel like in order to win a championship, you need to be able to figure something out defensively. Can you be good enough? And I think a historical offense, I mean, we'll see. I don't know if Miami has enough to topple them offensively, but the way they've been defending lately, they've restricted teams under 100 points 19 different times this year in a league where 120 points is becoming the norm. 130 is something that you're seeing routinely from the Nets in particular. And the Heat are 15 and four in those games where they're limiting teams to less than 100 points. Uh, I don't think the Nets, like, are going to have an easy time with anybody in the playoffs. It's entirely possible that we still get, and I hope we get this series because I've been waiting for these two two teams to play off in the first round forever, the Nets and the Knicks, because I think while the Nets will win that series, the Knicks will make that ugly because of the way they defend. And even though those three guys on the Nets are you know better than any trio in the NBA in terms of talent, like Murph says talent wins, and a lot of people say talent wins, and that's not always the case because the Clippers were more talented than the Nuggets last year. We've seen a countless other cases of talent, talent not necessarily winning. Like, I don't think the Miami Heat were the first or second or even third most talented team in the Eastern Conference last year. And they ended up getting to the finals because they were just a better team. Miami's had a lot of issues this year 
in terms of like health, COVID, as much as anybody, and they've still figured out a way to have the league's best defense. And Jimmy Butler should probably be the defensive player of the year this year, and we'll see if that happens. But I think the Nets, like, I'm not saying they're in trouble, but to me, a healthy Lakers team is still the favorite. And then I might even slip the Nuggets in there because they can do it on both ends of the floor with the Aaron Gordon acquisition. Yeah, their defense isn't great in terms of Nuggets, but I do trust it a bit more than I do the Nets. And that's where my concern is. And, and you know, you brought up Miami, and I know we joke all the time. And you're the resident Miami Heat fan <laughs> expert. And what it may be is you saw Brian just which rattle off. All of off. which is not true. But look how you rattled off all the stats. He was able to rattle it off like it's nothing because this is what he does. I'll, so let's put some respect on his name. He's damn Miami Heat insider. That's what we'll call him, a Miami Heat insider, right? <laughs> That's not even disrespectful. Like, that's, 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 that's the nicest way of what I could do it and, and put to that. But with all that being said, B, I think you bring up a good point in the fact that, look, it could take a team like the Miami Heat who could bring some toughness, plays defense consistently, consistently, excuse me, knows their identity, is aware of it, and already is playoff tested when we looked at what they did last year in the bubble. I think all those things are concerned. I would be a little bit concerned about the Miami Heat against the Brooklyn Nets because I don't think they're going to be intimidated. Now, I'm not saying the Miami's going to win. And you already talked about Bam giving them 40 and 20 before. I, I, think not, stuff I don't think he had 20, but he definitely had he 40. 20, but he gave him 40? Okay. But I think that stuff matters, right? Like, I think that actually matters here in what's going on. And I think if somebody can – I don't know – what we don't know about the Nets is what I think we're saying with all this is when they go against a good defensive team, and they're punched in the mouth, right? What's the plan, right? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Word to Mike Tyson. But what's their plan here? And that's what I don't know. And I don't think they have enough talent in terms of a plan on the defensive end, especially on the interior. We know DeAndre Jordan can't get it done for large stretches. We like what we've seen from Nick Claxton, but now he's not playing as much because they brought in LaMarcus Aldridge, who got tore up by Andre Drummond. Him and Blake Griffin, while they give you stuff offensively, they're not the answer defensively. My concern, Nets can score. We now, I'm never the person to say, "Oh, well, this could never happen because this we haven't seen this before." People always said, "Oh, you never seen a jump shooting team win the NBA championship," and then the Warriors came along. So maybe we can't see a team who doesn't play good defense outscore everybody and win. Maybe not. Maybe defense still matters. A lot will be told about the Nets this coming playoffs. I do have still have some concerns about their defense. I, I need to see them play better defense towards the end of the season. And I think even the most logical net fan, the most rational net fan, would say the same as well. Yeah, you got like many of those. Teams. I'll tell you that right well, now. You have a lot of rational fans <laughs> in any fan base. But yeah. you'd like to see that as well, too. And so I think that's a concern. I think the rational net fans I speak to say that's a concern for them, too. But it also shows you how good the Lakers are defensively. If you look at it on the flip side, that even without their two best players, they've actually posted, I think it's only a 10-11 game sample, but they've actually had a higher defensive rating than with those two guys. And do I think that's always going to be true? No, but those guys still play hard within a defensive system that is coached by Frank Vogel, and those guys have a defensive identity, something that the, that the Nets really don't have right now. And even when their shot isn't falling, even when they don't have their best players, you can still count on the Lakers to play defense. And look, this is just a concern. Maybe everybody is a concern about the Nets, but I have a little bit of a concern. So I pulled up the box score from that game I was talking about, right? This is from January 23rd. So this is around a time where Jimmy Butler was still dealing with COVID. 
uh, it was before he came back. Avery Bradley was also out, and he was actually playing beforehand. Um, and the Nets had all three of them dudes. They had Harden, they had Durant, they had Irving. Though it was early, it was one of the only games I don't. I heard the other day that it was like seven times we've seen them together this year. Of uh, I don't know if that's still the case, but it was it's something very low because remember like. Durant's been out for a while. Now Harden's out, and Kyrie took some time off, some PTO earlier in the season. And, you know, I think now he's – we don't know when he's going to come back now, although, you know, it's kind of secondary at this point. In that game, James Harden was two for nine shooting, which is interesting. He had 12 points, 11 assists. He was moving the ball very well and has generally throughout the course of the season. Uh, Durant had 31. Joe Harris had 23. Kyrie Irving at 28. This is before – uh, J- Jimmy Butler came in and sort of shored up their defense, and Miami was still struggling. They were six and nine after this game without Jimmy Butler. Bam had forty-one points, only five rebounds and nine assists. The rebounds kind of killed them, and Miami hasn't been a great rebounding team. Dwayne Dedman should help them a little bit, uh, and they just got him recently. The Nets won one twenty-eight to one twenty-four, despite having their big three and Miami not having Jimmy Butler who people can say, oh, it's just Jimmy Butler. He's one of the 10 most impactful players in the NBA. Showed that when he was in Philly. Showed that last year in Miami. And he's shown that this year because when he's on the floor, they're just one of the best teams in the NBA. So I'm not even going as far as to say they are gonna they would win that series, that hypothetical series either. But right. I also think that it's, it also signals like, what are you going to do with Joel Embiid? What are you going to do with Giannis? And I'm I'm not like back on Milwaukee necessarily because I was never crazy about them to begin with, but I expect them to be better in the playoffs this year than last year with Drew Holiday. You know what I mean? With who I think should be getting more six man of the year consideration, Bobby Portis. And it's not Jordan Clarkson anymore. It's probably Jalen Brunson at this point. But right now I'm looking at Milwaukee. I'm looking at Philly. I'm looking at Miami and I'm like, look, the Nets shouldn't be unbeatable to these guys. They should feel like they have an opportunity to knock this team off. Boston is not in that same sort of – and Miami's probably even a rung underneath those three other teams until they can really figure things out offensively, which they're starting to do a little by little. But you probably want to put them in that class because of what they've shown defensively so far. And if Boston can figure it out, they'll be dangerous too, but we'll see because I'm a little skeptical of that at this point. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, how teams play down the stretch of the regular season and what we see from the Nets and other teams in the Eastern Conference. So it's definitely – something to keep your eye on. But as far as it goes right now, the defense doesn't really look good for the Nets at all. So they're going to have to fix that uh, if they want to get a little bit better or teams are going to be looking at them like uh, it might be our time to knock off uh, the maybe the most, one of the most popular or hottest teams in the NBA or just the other team that has a lot of noise around it. People are going to be gunning for them, especially if they think they're vulnerable on that end of the ball. One time for your mind this week, Brian will be talking about the sport that he loves that I watched. It's none a sport. Of, I watched none of this weekend at all whatsoever. And Brian's probably disappointed in me for that. I didn't get to watch any of it this weekend. We're talking about wrestling, folks. Yes, we're talking about wrestling on One Time for Your Mind. And I'm going to talk about how teams and recently teams are sort of now making statements where they're postponing games in the name of social justice. Is this a trend that we're seeing? Is this good? What is about that? But I will get to that a little bit later. First, we are going to go to Brian with his recap. WrestleMania 37, which I didn't watch any of at all. 
It was in Tampa, Florida. It was you missed out, Dex. You missed did out. I? It did was, I really miss out? It was really good. I mean, not not even because like we saw black stars get made in the company. Yeah, 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 yeah. very We we spoke about this on another show, but Brian, Brian's whole like pitch to me to get me to watch wrestling is around blackness. Like that's literally what he does. He's like, yo, you know, they got these black stars now. They got somebody your daughter can look up to. Like, it's all around blackness. And, yo, here's the thing. I ain't even mad at him. I'm not even mad at him. If you're going to hook somebody into something, a lot of times people want to see people who look like them. So I'm not mad at him. I clown him yeah. for it, but I'm not mad at him for it. Like, I get it. I get yeah, it. Here's the thing. If you wanted to get me to watch cricket, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. But if you said the Puerto Rican national team was, like, the best that they've ever been, I'm probably putting that shit on. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what it is. So, I mean, look. Unfortunately, this hasn't worked for me in, in, in this regard. This hasn't worked for me. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Except, I mean, except I hear, I'm, I'm going to say this on the show before Brian goes. I'm going to say hmm. this in, in all fairness. Brian, for years, I've known Brian for a while now. For years, Brian has been trying to get me to watch wrestling. And to be fair, <laughs> to be fair to him, I have not given him a fair shot. I've not sat down and watched it. I've not tried to sit and watch it. And I'm very quarter. careful about what I recommend. I, I I don't never I've never told Dexter to watch an episode of Raw or SmackDown. Never. True. I've I've said watch NXT, and I've said watch certain big shows or certain matches because that's what I watch. I don't really watch. I mean, I'm watching the Raw right now, the night after WrestleMania, because that's I mean that, that's a are. that's a ceremonial Raw episode that everyone turns into. But then you'll get your lull after this, and I mostly turn into like the big shows. And WrestleMania, it's like you know, for for a lot of us, it's the Super Bowl. You know I, what I, I mean? I, you I, just I, sort of watch it. I, I understand that, and we, we hopefully will have a guest in a couple of weeks where we actually will dive into more wrestling, and I'll have questions for both of you about wrestling. But to be fair to Brian, I, I have to be totally transparent. I've recommended a, a few, quite a few things to Brian. Which Brian has tried. And so I'm saying that in the relationship, it's kind of been one-sided, right? I've recommended <laughs> these things to Brian, and Brian has tried it. Whether it's been The Last of Us, whether it's been uh, The Wire, Atlanta. These mm. are some shows I recommend. Rami. Rami. <laughs> and uh, Brian's probably like, not, not, that, not that Brian has not recommended anything to me that I haven't tried. And a lot of that has happened around music. But... I haven't, I haven't done it with the wrestling. He's really been pushing me to wrestling. I haven't done it. And so, you know what? New Year 2021, going to do something different. Going to try to – what's the next big wrestling event coming up? WrestleMania is passed. That's like the Super Bowl. I missed that. I need to, what's the big ne- ne- wrestling event coming up next? I'm not sure what the pay-per-view is. It's probably Backlash or something like that. Um, I know SummerSlam is obviously in August. SummerSlam, that's, okay. That's the next big, big one. Do, do you have Peacock? I have access to it. Yes, I could have Peacock. Yeah. Oh, so, so look, you can watch WrestleMania. It's right there. You know what I'm saying? You know I'll what? tell you what. I can tell you what to skip. Don't get me no, wrong. No, 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 don't. So what I will do is before we have the guests on, I will that guest, we will we'll get into some wrestling with the guests. I will try to watch it before, and I will just watch it. I'm trying to be. I'm, I have a lot of biases toward wrestling. I can be honest <laughs> about that. I have a lot of biases towards it, right? Um, and so. I'm going to try to watch it with a clear and open mind and just I'm going to judge this experience and what I think about it, and that'll be that, and we'll talk about it. But, no, let's get All back right. to you. Let's, let's, get, let's, get, let's get into WrestleMania. And, I, you know, 
I'll, I'll give obviously if you've seen it, you know the results. And Dexter's gonna, he's probably gonna. Well, keep I've, I've, I've read about the results, so I'm right. aware. So is there, you know, spoiler alert if you haven't seen WrestleMania for whatever reason. Um, and Dexter doesn't care about like WrestleMania spoilers necessarily. No, but, no, no, I don't. <laughs> but look, really good. Just a couple of things I'm gonna touch on to run through this. Right, night one. Uh, both nights actually started off very slow and got really good. Night one, obviously, biggest takeaway from that or biggest thing coming from that, uh, two things. Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair. Uh, I don't recall ever, never mind the WrestleMania aspect of it, I don't recall there ever being two black women fight for a women's championship in my lifetime. Like, I'm trying to remember... I know. I think Jacqueline was a women's champion at some point. I think Jazz was also, but I don't remember them wrestling each other. And like, there's not a lot of names you can get to here. Like, the list is pretty short. And to see that happen at the main event of day one of WrestleMania, like, there were a lot of tweets about like what it means for black people, black women, women in general, and things of that nature. And it was the only. And I've been watching wrestling since I was three years old. So you're talking about. 24 years and you're talking about this being the first time i ever saw a match where the two competitors were tearing up in the ring before the match even started and that like hits you in a specific way like oh they're 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 breaking kayfabe here and not intentionally it's just the magnitude of the moment there's covid this is the first event you know uh with fans since before the pandemic this is the main event of WrestleMania. Bianca Belair was just on NXT a few months ago, and now she's at this stage. She's sort of skyrocketed up here. Sasha Banks was as good as anybody in the company right now and all these sort of things, and the match delivered. Like, it lived up to the hype. So I, that's the one that I want Dexter to watch the most for obvious reasons. Uh, but it was also just, like, a very uh, ceremonial uh, WWE moment, I feel like, in history where they had their eye on the future but also on the present, and those two things sort of collided at the perfect time. Before that, Damian Priest, who you may know him from independent wrestling, especially here in New York City, uh, you know, with the company, uh, formerly of the name Punishment Martinez, now Damian Priest, Puerto Rican, and he teamed up with Bad Bunny, as he has been doing for a while, to face The Miz and John Morrison. Bad Bunny, who also announced his tour using... WrestleMania didn't announce it beforehand. Use WrestleMania to announce his tour, which is going to be next year. Uh, so, you know, he's taking the pandemic seriously, obviously, because there ain't a show until February. So, shout out to Bad Buddy. Uh, you know, him and Damian Priest had a match with Miz and John Morrison. A lot of people were skeptical because the celebrity shit in WWE, we had Logan Paul in WrestleMania the next day. And I'll give Logan Paul credit. Like, he did what he had to do, but he didn't participate in a match. Bad Buddy participated in a match, and you could tell he took this shit very seriously. Miz and John Morrison put him over, like, really sold for him in a way that, you know, you wouldn't expect a lot of wrestlers to do. And Bad Bunny was amazing. Damian Priest was great in that match also, underrated uh, portion of that. Bad Bunny was amazing. Everybody should just go watch it just for that. Like, the dude loves wrestling and music videos with Ric Flair, has a song named Booker T, the whole thing. And he proved it because he's been in the performance center down in Florida putting in the work and actually went out and had a great match, a great performance. I think Dexter will appreciate the, the artistry, uh, even though there were obviously a couple of things there where you're like, you know, that's, it's wrestling at the end of the day. But look, the shit is hard. 
wrestling is fucking hard. Well, That's yeah, one of the things I well, tell Dexter all the time. Right. <laughs> and one of the things I think people should know, and I don't want to talk too much because it's something Brian and I haven't released yet, but we started working on years ago on some stuff around independent wrestling that we hope to eventually release soon. But um, we spoke with some wrestlers and witnessed some training. Like, literally got to witness some training. And I definitely got to see the work that goes into the choreography, just like any other, like dancing, right? Like, it's not easy to do that. And to see the work that goes into it combined with the physical training, upkeep of body, um, that's go with it. It's real and athleticism. There is athleticism involved in it. Yeah. I know I, I joke on it, and but I think people should see there's there, there are certain sports or competitions that people don't understand the work that goes into it. And I will say, even though wrestling is very, uh, it's very performance-based, uh, that we can say there's still a lot of work and athletics that goes into it. In all seriousness, I say that with all seriousness because I've seen the work that people have done, and it's, yo, everybody can't do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Everybody, everybody can't just get out there and do this. Like if you think you can get in the ring and just wrestle somebody tomorrow and make it look good, like Brian and I, if we didn't go with no choreography and went to wrestle in the ring and we had to aim hard to tell uh, Royal <laughs> Rumble or whatever we're gonna call it, you know, it it it'll look horrible because we don't know what the fuck we doing. <laughs> like I, I might. That's it. I might. Yeah, I, no, I, you know what? My bad. You still strike me as a person that still practices stuff at home, jumps off the bed like it's the third turnbuckle. And it's like elbowing stuffed nah. animals on the floor and stuff like that. That that nah. was your childhood, though, right? Like that. Oh, was oh my god! Oh my of god! Course. Yo, yo, yo! You you haven't met my best friend Brandon, but like, surprise, you're your best friend after all the jumping off the turnbuckle. Y'all probably did. Well, we met in middle school, and this is like you know, <laughs> like this is at the time where like this is the perfect time to just wrestle each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I probably I probably shouldn't say that too loud because there's some people that I live with who don't really know about that kind of stuff. But, you know, like we ain't gonna talk about that. <laughs> But, but basically, uh, 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 and I do mean wrestling. Like you know, people have dirty minds and shit like that. Like no, nah, well, I, I didn't even go there, but okay. Not you, but all right. Day the, only a couple more things on WrestleMania before we toss it to you because I've been going on for too long. But day two, uh, not gonna go into the whole thing. But again, like that they were setting up stars for the future because Rhea Ripley, somebody who just came up from NXT and won, that was a great match. The main thing I want to highlight from day two, um. Roman Reigns, who survived leukemia. Daniel Bryan, who survived a lot of different concussions and neck injuries that forced him to retire, I want to say, five years ago or something along those lines. And Edge, who had triple fusion neck surgery about nine, ten years ago, uh, had to retire also. Main evented WrestleMania. The final match on day two. Guys who had to overcome all that shit, and they had one of the better... One of the best matches from the weekend, arguably the best match of the weekend, um, which is very much worth watching. So I encourage people to go check that out because as human beings, they've all had to sort of go through a lot. In the beginning of COVID, um, Roman Reigns was somebody who's like, I'm not going to wrestle because like, I, you know, I just I just got my leukemia remission not that long ago. I'm a little bit skeptical. And then we saw him pop up somewhere along the lines. And what those three did in that match, like. You know, we know Edge is at the end because he just came back miraculously for the first time in a long time. We know Daniel Bryan's toward the end because, you know, again, the concussions and stuff that he's had throughout his career. He's a he's at, at 40 now or 39, 40, something along those lines. And then Roman Reigns, you just never know. So, you know, I, I appreciate what those three guys did because that was a, a hell of a great main event. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to check it out. I'm definitely going to check this out. 
Um, and we'll have a can't, a can't wait to see your text when you get to the Nigerian drum fight. <laughs> oh. It's probably well, I almost wish you hadn't told me that because now I'm gonna be like, I wouldn't have been expecting a Nigerian drum fight, but it's wrestling. Who know who knows what to expect uh with any of this? All right, for, for my one time for your mind this week, um I, I wanna say that I'm gonna start off by saying that as we're recording this podcast and everything that's going on around. Um, I think today for a lot of black people in this week uh, in America, it's just another one of these days where you're just like, again, yes, again, we have another shooting of an unarmed black man. Um, this, to- this happening in the same city as George Floyd, George Floyd did, Minneapolis, Minnesota. A uh, 20-year-old man, his name was uh, Dante Wright, was fatally shot during a traffic stop. Um, this was supposedly after a Minnesota, Minnesota police officer shouted taser, but fired a handgun instead. Um, and look, I have not watched the video of this uh, because honestly, since I, I had a conversation with several people last summer and I've started to realize that I don't need to watch this stuff anymore. Um, it's kind of the same with the George Floyd trial that's going on right now. I have been somewhat reading some bits of news on it every now and then, but I'm not really following it. Um, and I think mainly straight up about it, I just I don't think it's going to go any differently than any of these other trials like this that we've seen. Um, the cops tend to get off, and even if they don't get off, it doesn't bring back his life or what's going to happen. I just feel very weird about it, I will say. Um, but with this happening, this happened um, Sunday afternoon. A lot of people obviously are outraged over this. This happening again, as I said, in Minneapolis, same city uh, where George Floyd was murdered at the hands of the police. As I said, yes, this was a Minnesota police officer who shouted taser but fired a handgun instead. Um, Dante Wright was being pulled over allegedly because uh, of an outstanding warrant. And I would like to be clear with everybody about this. People can have outstanding warrants, and it does not mean that they've done something wrong. I once personally, it's the first time I'm actually talking about this publicly. I think I've told Brian this story. I once had an outstanding warrant, uh, which really ties back to a cop being racist and not wanting to move out of a parking spot. And I honked to move him out of a parking spot, so he wrote me a noise complaint ticket. Yes, this actually happened. Um, I forgot about the ticket, and then there was a warrant uh, out for my arrest, and I was pulled over. Um, and I was actually had to end up spending the night um, in jail because of this, which was ridiculous. Um, so things like this happen for the people who've done nothing wrong at all whatsoever. Um, so, th- you know, a lot of people tend to run and say, oh, this person's a criminal. and We don't need to do that. But this has gone on and people are outraged and people have taken to the streets because um, I quite frankly, we've talked about this on the podcast before. We saw a lot of people take to the streets last summer. We just said this in the last episode. And I think it's fair to question, all right, what has happened? Has things gotten, have things gotten better? Have people really stepped up to stop systemic racism? Or has a lot of the stuff that we've seen from companies, corporations, um, been performative? And I think it's very fair to question that. And what we then saw following this, at uh, the time of recording this on Monday evening, was the teams in Minnesota, the Minnesota Twins, the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, and the Minnesota Wild of the NHL all postponed their games that they were going to play uh, that evening and decided to not play them. And 
you, we've seen teams do this. We saw this happen in the bubble, NBA bubble last year with the Bucks doing it, but it was kind of the Bucks leading the charge to say, we're not going to do this. Now it seems like teams are just stepping up or leagues are approving this and coming out and saying, hey, this has happened. We're not doing this no more. And in some part, it feels like this could be one of these steps in the right directions. And we don't know the details of how this is going down. Maybe there are players on this team going to the leagues and saying, like, look, we need this to happen. We're putting the pressure on ownership. We're putting pressure on these leagues to make this happen. And if so, and these leagues are reacting, that's a good thing. But I think a lot of it is kind of the same thing I spoke about last week. A lot of it is what happens after this. Is there more that's going to come out of this? Is there more pressure that's going to be put put on? Sports is leading the, the forefront. We saw this in the bubble for the WNBA and the NBA in terms of social activism. But it's really what happens next. But with all this happening, what was disappointing was some stuff that I saw uh, surrounding the reporting of this. Now, John Heyman of CBS reported uh, earlier today, uh, this is, uh, you know, earlier today at the time of recording this, that he wrote that the Twins-Red Sox uh, game in the MLB was postponed due to curfew and potential for riots. Now, the reason this was problematic was the fact that the Minnesota Twins then put out a statement and it did not align in any way with what John Heyman reported. This seems to be one of those situations where somebody wanted to report to be the first person, but not necessarily get it right. So I want to read the Minnesota Twins statement because what the Minnesota Twins said was out of respect for the tragic events that occurred yesterday in Brooklyn Center in in, uh, Minneapolis. So following the additional details in this evolving situation, the Twins have decided it's in the best interest of our fans, staff, players, and community to not play today's game. The decision was made by the Minnesota Twins after consultation with Major League Baseball and local and state officials. Information regarding the rescheduling of today's game and corresponding ticket details will be released near the future. Minnesota Twins organization extends its sympathies to the family of Dante Wright. Now, people are upset at John Heyman, and I think rightfully so, because there was no mention by the Twins or MLB talking about curfew or potential riots. Like, none of that was mentioned at all whatsoever. But they weren't the only people that got it wrong because the Associated Press did the same thing. They also, uh, maybe piggybacking off of some of the reporting that I was reporting in quotes uh, that John Heyman did here, they did the same thing and mentioned that. So it's interesting that you're getting this link when there's anger, and justifiably so from the Black community, right. that the, the immediate response is that, oh, when there's going to be riots, when... Any, no, only thing we've seen following this is peaceful protests and demonstrations following this. And it just always seems, and I'm speaking this for black persons, that when we are angry about these things, when we're continuously angry, our anger has to either be suppressed or put in this extremely violent light when nobody even said that. Now, John Heyman doubled down on this and said that this is what he heard, this is what he was told. But I'm like, yeah, but that's not what the twins put out. So it doesn't look good for you. The fact that he was doubling down on this and not understanding the anger, and I saw other black journalists call him out for this, is absolutely disappointing. And it really shows you, in this regard, B, that we still have a long way to go on this. Like, teams just coming out and suspending games, and people still getting the information right, or people still trying to diminish the black anger here. And I don't know all the details of the shooting. I'm not saying that. But here's the thing. Another unarmed black man has been shot. And somebody at least police officer appears to have 
mistakenly shot him with a gun instead of a taser. And I think it's fair to question if you shot him with a gun instead of the taser and you don't know the difference between the two in your hand, I'm not sure you should necessarily be working as a police officer. That right. much that much I can say. I don't care to watch that footage, right? And I don't feel like I need to watch it to be informed as a black person in America anymore. We're sick of this. Yeah. This has happened over and over. We know yeah. what this deal is. We know the mindset of the cops. We know the perceptions towards us. And we know, and I know as a black man how it feels to be pulled over. And this this young man called his mother because he probably was fearing for his life and his girlfriend was in the seat next to him. Like, we're disgusted. So for all that to happen, John Heyman and people seeing these teams take these protests, be better in your language around it. You don't have to say that. This isn't, if, if, the, if the Minnesota Twins did this, and I know I'm being long-winded on this, but if the Minnesota Twins canceled this game or any other team, whether it was the Timberwolves, whether it was the Wild, because they were fear of the protest more than the disgust of the fact that another unarmed black man was killed, then I think it's pretty clear to see where the problem lies there. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and obviously the point you make about like where does this sort of lead to is probably one of the more important things because we obviously had – a nationwide, we've joked about this, we've talked about this in this podcast, a nationwide, uh, quote-unquote, racial awakening last year. Um, and I we use did. that term, I use that term, we, very loosely. Uh, you know, because a lot of people, uh, I'm sure Dex, you're making a face right now that's uh, <laughs> kind no, of no, no, I'm I'm, no, I'm just saying, I'm saying that we did it. And I'm just saying we call it what uh, what our man Dave Sims said. You know, it was the summer of white tears. Like, that's 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 exactly what it was like let's just yeah. call it what it is because it, you know and i don't mean that against all white people but there clearly wasn't enough of action and i i'm looking at the camera again i know there's enough with companies and stuff not caring uh and valuing black employees <laughs> or valuing black people period or actually wanting to do the work yeah like a lot of people said they want to do the work but they haven't done the work go ahead B. yeah and the only thing i will say is that like the steps that were taken uh, the good steps that we've talked about, like those things are necessary, but there still, still needs to be more that comes from it. So we'll see what happens from here on. Like canceling games is one thing, but again, like this is not on sports to fix society's problems. More has to be done within the legal system. Uh, more needs to be done evidently in the state of uh, Minnesota because, you know, this happened, what, a year after George Floyd? And like, in the same exact state. So we'll see where it goes from here. And to the John Heyman point, I don't think everything is worth reporting. And I feel like if a person of color who cares, like actually cares, would have actually been told that from a source, I don't think they would have reported it. And, or I don't think they would have reported it in that same way. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dexter, but like, no, I you agree. know, I agree with that. if that was the information that you or I got, I don't think we would have reported it or at least reported it in that way. Like there's plenty of things, plenty of stuff that you and I have gotten that we don't report uh, probably not for the same reasons, but just because like, you know, journalistically like this, this doesn't make a lot of sense if you're actually trying to be a journalist and for him to double down on that is uh, it's strange and it's not strange. And I'll say that much. I don't know John Heyman personally, but for him to report that and then double down on it, is a mistake, especially at a time where it's like, yo, you have to understand like a lot of things are are bigger and supersede this tweet you're about to tweet out just because somebody told you a bit of information that seems erroneous and is not verified by any sort of facts given what we now know. 
Well, I think it's problematic that he didn't even question, right? Like, if he got that information, that was true. And I, do, I don't think – I'm not saying that he's lying. I don't know that he's lying. Uh, John Heyman has broken a lot of news in baseball for a lot of years. There's a lot of sources. But it's <laughs> – it kind of is to the point that you make, B, which is like a person of color would have at least questioned and been like, oh, so you're postponing this game because you're afraid of riots? Yeah. Right? Like, like that would that deserves to be questioned. And I think that when you have a certain privilege in this country and consistently have with people who look like John Heyman in the position that he's in, I actually understand why he didn't question it. But like, yo, that day's over, yo. Now we're questioning you and we're asking you why you didn't do why you didn't do that for him to double down on it, which he has done publicly on Twitter, I think shows a lot of the insensitivity surrounding it. Even as a journalist, I think there was a need to have levels of sensitivity and ask more questions on it instead of just getting your information information and putting it out there, which is what he appears to have done. But, like, I think for black people, the whole thing surrounding this is exhausting because we've been saying for a long time, it's just like when you're doubling down on stuff, it's like you don't care about us. You're showing that you don't care about us and other people of color when, when this happens. Um, and you know what? Like, damn, we just have to ask for some humanity to actually care. And you know there's, you know there's going to be people on the other side that are going to be mad these games are postponed oh. because it affected their viewing and all right. this other stuff and this is too politicized you're going to hear that from the other side and it's like nah man this is a human rights issues and human rights issues are never political ever and that's all i gotta say on it it's never political this is about human rights man how people deserve to be treated with right to be in their car and even if they are pulled over with a warrant to not get murdered for it like that's all black folks and people of color have been asking for. That's why people are upset. That's why people are exhausted. And once again, another year, we still got to deal with it because certain people don't really want to get their stuff together and truly end racism and do the work that needs to be done. Maybe just shut up and listen for once and actually do some of the work. But we're not seeing that. All right, that's it for this episode of the A Hard Sell Podcast, episode 174. Please be sure to continue to support us. Uh, in every way you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at AHTT Podcast. Also check out our Patreon page. A lot of good episodes coming through this month. As Brian said, we are in April. We are out of March. A lot of great stuff to talk to you about. Playoff races heating up in the NBA. Baseball is underway. If the Mets will actually ever play a game uh, again, they had a couple delayed. We'll, we'll, we'll get into more of that. So a lot of good stuff to talk about in the world of sports and everything going on. A uh, special thank you to our producer. Uh, you've seen, if you're watching this podcast, you've sort of seen a new look that we have. Um, and our producer, Gregory Oncala, uh, great friend, Team Backpack. He's been down with us for a long time. We thank him for all his help with that. Uh, but for this episode, 174 of the Ain't Hard Sell podcast, he's Brian Fonseca. I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace. <laughs>